Um, I have a video clip, as I often do, to start out. This one is not, there was a funny one that I wanted to use, but it didn't really work with the message in the sense of what I'm trying to get you to understand. There's a term that has hit uh, social media, it has hit the workplace, and uh, this little news clip will introduce you to it. So let's uh, let that roll. A new Gallup poll finds nearly half of all the people working in the U.S. are quiet quitters right now. As medical reporter Liz Bonus explains, that could be a real health hazard. Hey there, hello to you. Quiet quitting is the term used for just meeting the minimum standard at work to get by. A popular thing these days in this pandemic time. In fact, Gallup recently found those actively disengaged at work have hit an all-time high. They say only about one in three of us now do go to work and go the extra mile. Only about one in five speak up about it. But everyone else? They begin to ghost the employer. They just quietly just pull back. Beth Gifford, an adjunct business instructor at Cedarville University, says it's been a thing for quite a while, but the COVID-19 pandemic made it worse. I do believe that coming out of COVID, everyone has sort of reevaluated their lives. Well, work-related personal time boundaries are critical to your health. I think the onus is really on employers to work on making the environment um, sustainable and acceptable to all that's in within the walls. Psychiatrist Dr. Tracy Cummings says quiet quitting can be an unhealthy coping mechanism. Are some of these, however, early warning signs that you may actually be depressed? So it could be. So if someone is pulling back and isolating themselves, that may be a sign of a bigger concern. In all likelihood, she says you likely are feeling underappreciated or unchallenged. To reverse the cycle, your boss may need to make sure. People are working to their training ability. You know, so they're not spending time doing things that isn't really maximizing what they're really good at. And Dr. Cummings says you need to talk to a safe work person and see if you can become a quiet, engaged, happy employee. She reminds us if your safe person to talk to is not inside your own work environment, don't be afraid to reach out outside it. I'm medical reporter Liz Bonus. Now back to you. Quiet quitting. How many of you were already familiar with that term? Interesting. Are you all young that raised your hand? Yes. <laughs> well, it is a popular term in the workplace um, that, and I'm probably speaking with, as we all do, with our own experiences, our own biases, our own baggage. But um, it's just as common in the church. While quiet quitting in the workplace is defined as just doing your job, punching the clock, setting up proper boundaries. I mean, most of us uh, of my generation were raised by another generation that uh, you always went the extra mile. You always gave more than what you were required. In fact, I think that's a little biblical when Jesus talks about what you should do with someone when they ask you to walk a mile with them. I think you're supposed to go maybe even double what they ask you to do. So setting up boundaries, I understand that. Uh, I was... Uh, one of my first supervisors right here at Lackland in about 1988 had just come from a year in Korea where she was uh, separated from her husband for that year as it was a remote assignment. 
and she was very concerned about the clock. She said, I am no longer going to stay past whatever the quick time was, 4, 4.30. And literally, as soon as the clock in the front office hit that time frame, boom, she was out the door. And then she would come with, and you better be quick behind me. She, she was trying to protect me from what she had felt, that the job had taken more than what she could offer. But quiet quitting in the church is, well, it's really not quiet. In fact, Pew Research that I just stumbled on this week, I think the article was four days old, said that by the year 2070, and I know some of you are sitting here, I'll never see 2070. Have I told you this one before? You know, I chase squirrels all the time. I'm in high school at my girlfriend's house, and Brenda, forgive me for telling this. She knows. She's heard the story. A kid soaped the window after getting candy. Yeah, which I thought was kind of backwards. And he put, long live the class of 92. Well, this was in 1975. I thought... 14 years from now, this kid's five, whatever, he was already planning ahead, and I thought that year would never come, 1992. So I'll tell you, 2070 is coming unless the Lord comes before that. So those of you who will be around in 2070, Pew Research says that not only will this no longer be a Christian nation, if we stay on the same downward decline, less than 40% will claim to be Christian. In fact, they went on to... to Pars it down and said, this rate, this rate, this rate, it'll be a right 35%. So about one in three people would claim to know Jesus. Churches across the nation have membership roles full of quiet quitters. Those who claim that they are members but no longer attend, no longer serve, no longer share in the ministry of that congregation. Jesus encounters quitters here in John 6, the end of that chapter. And I will say, other than in, when playing sports, 30 years in the military, you didn't see people quit very often unless they went to the brig first. But, you know, you finished out your enlistment or your time. But playing sports, I saw young men walk off the field. I quit. You know, the coach had said one too many things. They didn't get to play enough. They quit. They walked away. The only other job I ever had was my UPS job while I was in seminary. Many times people would quit. Did any of you have ever worked for UPS? Hard job. Lots of sweat, uh, especially the guys who are loading the little brown trucks. And I remember one Christmas and the packages, I'm at the end. I'd work my way from being in the truck to on the conveyor belt to where you get the boxes and put them in the little brown truck. And all of a sudden the boxes stopped. The supervisor, cussing, snorting, snarling, runs to the semi-trailer to see where the boxes, why they've stopped coming out onto the conveyor belt. And the man who's in there was probably 20 to 30 years my senior. He's probably in his 40s. You know, this is a part-time Christmas job. And the supervisor says, what are you doing? He says, I'm taking a break. Supervisor said, we don't take breaks on this shift. We work straight through for four or five hours. Start sliding. So he started sliding the boxes again. A few minutes later, the boxes stopped. Here goes the supervisor, red-faced. I remember him, Johnny. I think it's Johnny Garcia. Johnny comes running up there, snorting past me. Why are they stopped? And this guy is gone. He steps out beside the semi, and he is walking to his car. He's had all that job he wanted. So 
Publicly walking away is perhaps unique. Maybe you've been in a job setting where you publicly saw someone walk away. But here, people publicly turn away from Jesus and walk in the other direction. Recalling the words that he had shared last week, which some of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching, that you must actually dine on my body, you must drink my blood. And he says, this is spiritual talk. Because in these words, you have life. And that's where we will pick up in John 6, verse... Let me read 63, because that's the conclusion of what we said last week. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Now, here's where we're going to focus today. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter, who's always there, you know, he's always the mouthpiece. He answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. Most Greek commentators will say he, it should be translated, One of you is the devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, through one of the, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father, as we look at a text that... Uh, even the words that I began with this baptism. Sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we turn away. Sometimes we stumble. But in this hour, I pray that you would draw us back to you. Don't ever let us be quiet quitters. Let us always be working for you, always involved in the ministry that you have called us to enter, to serving you, your son, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, living out the Great Commission. Hear this prayer, Lord. Speak to the hearts of this congregation, for I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Pierce will laugh, but even with my limited social media knowledge, I know what ghosting means. You know what ghosting means? Raise your hand if you don't know, do not know what ghosting means. Okay. And there's some young hands that are being raised. Very good. Ghosting is basically dumping someone without explanation. How I understand it is sometimes I will list a car on Facebook Marketplace. I'm a car nut. And they will inquire, is it available? I hate that. That's an easy button to push. Is it available? And like the fish looking at the bait, yes, it's available. And then I'm ghosted. Nothing. Nothing ever comes back. Or perhaps they'll ask for a description. That more so than what was in the article, and, and you give them the description, and nothing, nothing comes back. Ghosted, dropped like a hot potato. Some of you who are in the dating world, it's been a long time, but if you had the social media thing or whatever, you might have set up a, a meeting to go somewhere or have a date or whatever you do. I don't know what you do. Maybe you go to a restaurant, maybe go to a movie, and, and after that, you reach out to that person that you've had the date with, and they don't answer your phone call. They won't respond to your text. They, they basically ghost you. 
So I think that communicates in the church because the first point I have today is holy ghosting. That's when Christians vanish from the church. Maybe I should have said unholy ghosting, but holy ghosting just sounded like it worked. There are many reasons why church members ghost the church. Common ones, and these are ones, if you've ever been involved in a church, you have seen somebody leave. Church leadership, the pastor leaves, somebody on the stage, somebody in the front, somebody that you know leaves, and, or they know leaves, and there was an identity, they connected a relationship, and they no longer want to attend. Or leadership changes, direction of the church changes, worship style change in people. Well, that's not what I want. Music changes. That, that's not what I want. Loss of confidence. The pastor or somebody on the staff had an inappropriate situation. And people leave. People move. We're in Military City, USA. I mean, USA. That sounds like, whoa, that's an endorsement. <laughs> pull that back. Woo! You're in Military City, USA, and obviously you have a transitory uh, community. Many of you... We're in the military, left, stayed here in San Antonio, or maybe you have opportunity to go back, you know, Yankee land like I could. It's too cold. I don't like the snow. Don't like rust. Saw rust on a car yesterday. Um, but we move. Or you even, you get sick, you can't go. And sadly, we sometimes feel like a church member is ghosting us because they can't get out and come anymore. And shame on the church that doesn't reach out and find those that, are unable to attend. Well, these people were publicly turning from Jesus because they did not choose to place their faith in him. Then the question comes, and if I understand it in Spanish, I called Pierce to ask his wife, and I called a couple other Spanish speakers that I know. I should have called Saul. He's my, usually my resident translator. What little Spanish I do know, I've seen read. I, I, I took French, and they don't do this in French. I asked earlier. They don't do it in Portuguese either. But here is the question in Spanish. Take a look. Spanish questions, when they're written down, begin with that upside-down question mark and end with that question mark. And I should have called my daughter-in-law. And why is that? I mean, would you know, Patsy? Why do they do that? I don't mean to put you on the spot. The, the consensus I've got from everybody is it is to signal the reader that there's a question coming. Because sometimes, if you're even reading in English, you read the question, you have to back up. Was that a question? Or, or was that a rhetorical or, or whatever? But to me, if there was ever the opportunity, and that's basically verse 67, I think, right? Yeah, that's 60, those Spanish speakers that understand that. Are you going to leave too? Are you going to go too? He says to the 12, verse 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. So, the question is asked more for their sake than for his. We already know that he knew who would leave. He knew their hearts. They needed to voice their commitment to him more than he needed to hear their voices. We talked this week. I won't call People at funerals want to say something. They don't know what they, to say, 
But when you have a congregational hymn, whether it's Amazing Grace in the Garden, you know, I'd love to tell the story, something you're able to express, it builds that connection with the faith. And Jesus asked a question that he really knew the answer to. And perhaps we need to ask that question of ourselves. Will you leave too? I read about a pastor this week in Virginia. Uh, she was challenged by her bishop, as all the other ministers in her uh, district, to call every church member that had not attended in the past year or longer. And as she was writing this article, she said, I had just lost my father, had just first come back to work, and I go to this conference, and this is what I hear. And she said, I'm still fielding conversations, you know, taking conversations and phone calls from loved ones, from family members, those expressing, you know, condolence in the congregation. She said, I'm already taking care of the active church members. I don't know that I wanted to spend my time reaching out to someone I hadn't spoken to in years or perhaps never attended since I had been a part of that church. In fact, she wrote, and this is why I liked it, because I love people who write with word pictures. She said, in my mind, when I'm calling, I thought of Adele singing, Hello, it's me. <laughs> it's been a long time, however that song goes, after all these years. Would you like to meet? Yeah. Well, let me challenge you to feel like Adele this week. Call somebody that you haven't seen in worship whether they're card-carrying members or somebody that stopped by to visit, somebody that you haven't seen in the past year or longer, or maybe you haven't seen in the past month, because it's, it's good to know that you've, to feel like you've been missed, that somebody actually took notice that you weren't there to worship elbow to elbow with another. Call them and say, hey, I care for you, I love you, and we need you to be active in your faith. Pastors and parishioners can feel ghosted. You've taught them in Sunday school. You teach them in vacation Bible school. You sit by them perhaps at a fellowship meal, and one day, poof, they're gone. Reach out this week and remind them of the words of Peter. Look at verse 68. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have, you have the words of eternal life. Whom shall we go? As only Peter can do, he speaks up for the 12. And if you can think of the context, he's gone from feeding the 5,000. They tried to find him. He went a different way, but still they followed. So at a minimum, there were hundreds of people there. You know, in the, biblical, in the Baptist biblical count, there were thousands. We know that they fed 5,000. We know they didn't count the children and the spouses. There were probably 10,000 he fed. Those people looked for Jesus for more bread, and now he's giving them some hard teaching, and they turn and go away. Could you imagine seeing the entire congregation walk out some Sunday and only 10 or 12 stick back? And Peter, as only Peter can say it, we believe and we know that you are the one. And that's in verse 69. And through you, Jesus, heaven one day will be where we abide. That payday someday, if you will. And that's our final point, payday someday. 
Yesterday at Cars and Coffee, I, in fact, I did not chastise you, or didn't, let me say, I didn't encourage you last week, I don't think, maybe Pierce, you did in the announcements, that that is the best opportunity for outreach this church has. Well, at least the one that we get the most, probably don't go to church anywhere people. Some, some are, some are very active. In fact, we've had a couple that, we actually have a couple now that go to another church and they are bringing donuts to Cars and Coffee. Is that cool or what? And they don't want to be a part of here because their teenage grandchildren are going to the church that they're attending. And I'm like, who would? And if a teenager wants to go to church, you take that teenager to church. Let me tell you, you you're in the car honking. Let's go. But they have been coming, and uh, so it, it, we miss great opportunities. And I know some of you were there, and I appreciate you being there. Just walking around, talking to people, you know, touch on faith. Ask them where they go to church. Is there something we can pray for? Uh, what a wonderful chance we have to reach our community. But this one man, I'd seen him before. In fact, I, I, <laughs> he said, we've met before. I said, I know, but you typically drive a Triumph. I don't know your name, but I know what you drive. And, and typically, if you've met me in the congregation, I may know your car quicker than I can remember your name. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. That's, you know, I had my name written on my shirt for 30 years, and <laughs> that's so I can remember who I was. But this guy said, uh, Larry, said, hey, you know what? He said, real soon I'm going to get my first Social Security check. And those of you who get Social Security, does it pay on the first or the last of the month? It depends. On your birthday? Uh, the week of your birthday. Oh, mine's the fifth. So maybe it'll come early in the month, right? When I, yeah, okay. But does it depend on you to apply? Anyway, some of you know what I'm trying to get at. Some of you, how many of you are... Paid on the 1st and the 15th. That's the way the military did it, the 1st and the 15th. All right? How many of you are paid once a month? Yeah, man, you've got to learn how to budget when you get paid once a month. And, and that's the way it was years ago in the military. I had a boss that, that had come in like late 60s, and he was a Catholic priest. He said, I got paid once a, a month in the church. He said, so when the Air Force said you want to get paid once a month or twice a month, he said, once a month. That's what I'm accustomed to. So retirement was no big deal for him. Have you ever pay, been paid for the day's wage? Have you ever done that? You know, like maybe you're a, a daily worker somewhere, laborer, and get paid at the end of the day? Yeah, oh, yeah. You, you cash out at the end of the night? Yeah. I worked on a farm a few times for different men. You get paid at the end of the day. I've moved some stuff, do some construction stuff, you know, being the grunt work, and you get paid at the end of the day. That's pretty cool, too, you know. Maybe we can blow it all, but if you don't work tomorrow, it's kind of sad. <laughs> For the Christian, at the moment of conversion, you have payday. At the moment of conversion, you have been redeemed, restored, you have been converted. You can use a lot of these church words. You have been saved from the peril of separation from God for eternity. You've been saved for your sins. No longer to die. Yes, maybe die in this fleshy life, but to live forever with him in glory. So every day, if you're a Christian, may not be perfect, but you have a payday by living with the living word. Go back to John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We have confidence to look to the day as Christ returns and meet him, whether it's face to face on his second coming, or we pass from this life to eternity and enter into his presence. Payday, someday. Payday, someday. 
And I stole that title. Those of you who are, have gray hair like me, you've heard of R.G. Lee. Anybody heard of R.G. Lee? You're a preacher. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Preachers have heard of preachers. And he's from Carolina. You know that? Yeah, you probably knew that. You've probably been to his house. You know where he went to your school? Durham? Is, that, is there a, like in uh, South Carolina? Is that, I thought it was South. There's a university. It's not, it's not a city. It's named after a preacher. Nonetheless, I'll, I'll come back to that. R.G. Lee um, is at the tail end of Spurgeon. You know, those of you who know Spurgeon, the prominent English preacher from the 1800s. I think R.G. is born like in 76 or 66, somewhere uh, middle, uh, latter half of, of 1800s, and actually lived till 1960s. Or till, yeah, no, he passed through till 60. I think he died in 78. So if I talk long enough, I'll remember what I read about that this week. Because um, I, I love dates, and sometimes I have memory joggers for me. But his most prominent church that he pastored was in, I have a Tennessean in the back, Memphis. He is 10 years prior to Adrian Rogers. Those of you who know the great Southern Baptist preacher, Adrian Rogers, who pastored a, a mega church in Memphis. R.G. pastored that church for 30 years prior to him. Um, as I read about him this week, uh, because I, I, I have heard payday someday all my life, never read the sermon, never preached the sermon, but I know that payday someday, preachers will say that to each other, it's payday someday, you know. Payday someday, uh, he preached over 1,200 times. You say, well, the guy couldn't get a good sermon. No, I think the guy got a great sermon and preached it several, several, several times. In fact, he was known to be such a silver-tongued orator that he was the standard in Southern Baptist life for preachers for years. Wonderful sense of humor. In fact, Adrian Rogers, who would replace him like 10 years later, said uh, to him at one point, uh, Dr. Lee, uh, when you die, it would be nice if they would transplant your brain to me. And Dr. Lee said, my son, that would like be sticking a grand piano in a closet. <laughs> Adrian Rogers said something like, I didn't know if he was making a joke or if he was actually telling the truth. This guy was a farm boy from South Carolina that his mom and dad needed him on the farm. He did not leave the farm until he was 21 years old, borrowed money to go to Panama to work in the Panama Canal to earn money to go to college. Self-taught all along, studying as much as he could, gets to college, graduates in four years, magna cum laude, is so good in Latin that as a recent college graduate, they offer him the chair of the Latin department. I mean, how many of you, yeah, do you? He knew that language for sure. I said Durham. It's Furnum. Furman. F-U-R-M-A-N. Furman. And that is in South Carolina? You know, if it's in Carolina, to me, that's all one state. Because <laughs> Illinois, from the top, Chicago to where I live, has got to be twice as long as those two are put together. So anyway. Well, Mark worked for me twice, sadly, uh, in his mind. And he says yes, sir, often. You know, it's one of those things you just say yes, sir, and just let the guy just keep going. Okay. But in that famous sermon, Payday Someday, he tells a true story. Those of you who are from Louisiana, he pastored First Baptist Church of New Orleans before he went to Memphis. I mean, he made the rounds, as, as many successful preachers have. Um, he 
told the story. In fact, in those days, we're talking now about the 40s, where uh, more or 30s and 40s, most preachers were on the radio, if you could get on the radio, or they might get into print in the newspaper. Spurgeon sermons were contained every week in the London papers. So you could see exactly what he said. There were men in there taking notes. But he said he got reoccurring letters from a young man who identified himself as a young man uh, who called himself the chief of the kangaroo court. And a kangaroo court is, you know, a court that has no legal standing, has no respect really for the rules. It's something that just pops up and they make their own decisions. And he said he got, this is all in that, you know, payday someday sermon. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to pull out. And it takes me a little while to get there, but just hang with me. I think we've got nine minutes left. So <clears throat> he, he said something to the fact that he said, every once in a while, this man would have a kind phrase in his letter. And he said it was like a gardenia. What's that flower? Gardenia. Yeah, I want to say gardenios. Because that was a restaurant in New Mexico. Yeah, it makes me hungry right now. But it was like a, a flower in the midst of a garbage can. He said that's how vulgar and vile these letters were that he got every week from this man uh, writing to him. Because he, he would hear his sermons and he would comment on them. Not unlike some of you. You still awake? Okay. So he said, time goes by, and he gets a call from a nurse at the, he called it the charity hospital, so I don't know if that was like the underprivileged hospital. And he said, there's a man here who is dying, and he says, of all the pastors in New Orleans, you're the only one that he wants to speak to. If you have time, will you come? And he said, he, had, he won't give us his name. He only identified himself as the chief of the kangaroo court. He said, I know exactly who it is. I'll be there. And he tells the story. He goes and sees the frame of a very large man that has uh, lost a lot of weight. He said he looks like death would come at any moment. And they enter a, a bantering, if you would. If those of you who have ever witnessed to someone who has really tried to give the Heisman to Jesus, there's still this push back and forth, push back and forth. And finally, after some of that and a few attempted smiles with one another, he held his hand. And the nurse had already advised him not to touch him because he was like, unclean, if you will. Uh, I don't know what disease. He didn't say in the sermon what, what was, uh, you know, causing his, uh, his illness, but uh, he says this. Let me see if I can find the exact quote. He said, I sent for you, sir, because I want to tell you these young, tell you and tell, for you to tell these young fellows. He's in a ward, and that's the way Dr. Lee set it up. He's in a ward. Those of you who've been in a military hospital may, may have seen a ward, but it's not a private room. It's all the beds laid out. He said, I want you to tell these fellows here something for me. I sent for you because I know you go up and down the land and talk to many young people. And I want you to tell them, and tell them every chance you get, that the devil pays only in counterfeit money. Jesus points out in verses 70 and 71 that Judas is going to betray him. And although, in fact, if you want to read John 18, you can see some of that betrayal. You have to read Matthew to see the, the pieces of silver. But that silver became counterfeit for Judas. In fact, Jesus uses, or John, as he's communicating Jesus' words, he said in verse 70, I, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. Uh, the, the Greek is... I think 
I don't know if you here I will try to speak Spanish again is that is what's diabolos in Spanish what is that yeah but in Greek it really doesn't mean the devil it means slanderer one who tries to break relationships and that's what the devil does and therefore every time it's translated in in Greek to English throughout the New Testament you see it translated devil Judas as you can read as I said in John 18 betrays Jesus and is paid in silver but it becomes counterfeit money and I challenge you this morning not to pursue counterfeit currency of this world R.G. Lee would say that the devil's pearls are simply made of paste and that his perfume or his nectar is poison he would even go on in that sermon to say, and if you eat his corn, I guarantee you will be choking on the cob. We must stop ghosting the Savior, stop pursuing counterfeit currency of the devil. Back to that sad poll that I began this message with. Depressing as it is, it concluded with this last sentence, and I will read it verbatim. Revival could happen. There's just nothing in the current data that indicates it will. Let me forget the latter part of that sentence and say, Revival could happen. Say it with me. Revival could happen. I will say revival must happen. And let it begin here. Stand with me, please, we pray. Our Father, as we come now to a time of invitation in this service, if there's someone here who has never made that same type of profession that Garrison did for us in vacation Bible school where he said, I want Jesus in my life. If there's an adult, a child, senior citizen, it doesn't matter the age, as long as someone understands that Jesus is the only means for salvation. Don't let us be counted with those who are silently quitting in the church. If there's something that we've been carrying as a burden and we need to let it go, I, I know that I have prayer warriors that will be here at the front of this church and receive and pray with them as well. Lord, whatever decision your Holy Spirit puts on the hearts of these who attend and hear today, I ask you to let them feel the freedom to step forward. We'll pray with them, love on them, and share them with them the sweetness and goodness of Jesus our Savior. For we pray it all in his name.